0: The Psalms in the Old Testament is a beloved section of the Bible because it is poetry that uses a lot of imagery, uses a lot of metaphors and similes and images that allow us to really appreciate the blessings of life and the burdens of life. And when we look at the Psalms, we are familiar with some of them. I think all of us are very familiar with the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there are other sections of the Psalms as well that give to us something very substantial to learn how to live life and let it be. And that's going to be the title of this series, Let It Be. This is a wisdom Psalm, and so I'm borrowing Paul McCartney's title. Let it be, whisper words of wisdom. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is use one psalm in particular as a source of inspiration and wisdom and praise as well. The psalms are popular because of the topics that it mentions. The problem is we don't know a lot about what inspired these psalms. These psalms are written over a number of years, and they're collected by the Jewish people, and in many ways, the psalms are the hymn book of the nation of Israel. The problem is, we don't know what prompts some of these psalms historically, so it would be great if we knew this psalm was written because of this set of circumstances, But I venture to say that a lot of the songs that you like over the course of your life, you probably don't know what prompted the artist to write that. Or you might not even really know what the song is completely about. Can anyone really interpret for me Stairway to Heaven? Right? Led Zeppelin song. What are they talking about there? And yet I love listening to it. It's a beautiful piece. Or how about Hotel California by the Eagles? What is that talking about? What prompted that? And so when we come to the Psalms, we are given with, uh, this piece of artistry, and yet at the same time, we don't know fully what, it, what caused it to be written. Except, at the title, we find this one has a heading, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Now we'll talk about that in a second, why maybe this title appears there. But what we find is in this collection of 150 different compositions, we find that this is poetry, and you notice that simply by the way it appears in your Bible. It looks different than it does the rest of the Bible, and it's written in stanza form. And Psalm 90 has three stanzas to it, and I'm going to take a stanza each week and talk about that. And as I do so, I want us to be reminded that there are many different types of psalms. There are psalms that were used to coronate the king. There were psalms that were used to cry out to God for deliverance from enemies. There were psalms that were written as a source of thanksgiving to God. But this is a wisdom psalm, and a wisdom psalm is to teach us something about how life works. And if we can get our handle on that, and if we can fully appreciate that God is in control of life, even when we can't control it, that God understands how life is going forward even when we can't understand it, then we can let it be. In other words... Many times in our life, we try to over-control our circumstances to the point that we either don't learn something from our circumstances, or we get frustrated and make foolish decisions trying to control our circumstances. Wisdom is always a better way to go. And so, if God can grant us perspective over the next three weeks, then I think we'll be able to look at what life is, whether we like it or not, and we can let it be and let it unfold in such a way that we can walk in wisdom. Now, this handout that I gave to you shows the three stanzas of the psalm, verses 1 through 6, verses 7 through 12, and verses 13 through 17. Stanza number one tells us that God is immortal, invisible, God only wise, as the old hymn goes. Yet we are mortal. God is immortal from everlasting to everlasting, and yet we have a temporal time on earth. And because of that, because we know that our time on earth is short, we often develop a fear of death or a fear of being forgotten after we are gone. And what we will find is that we all have a natural tendency in our life to seek immortality. And what I mean by that is what can live beyond us? And then we find that many times we wish certain things will happen in our life where we will be remembered long after we're gone in the generations to follow. So each week I'll bring up this chart and what we're going to find is next week, there's a little bit of a confusing stanza there because it seems as if God is indignant because we are sinful and we often live in fear of judgment. Many people often think that God is out to get them in some way. And what we'll find is that we really are human. And that's a natural thing that we carry some of these hesitations and fears and anxieties. And we should go ahead and accept our humanity for what it is. And we don't need to be sorry for it. And the final stanza is God knows the future even when we cannot know the future. And because of that, many times since we don't know what tomorrow holds, we're often afraid of tomorrow. We're afraid of what the future might bring. Yet we can await tomorrow with the assurance that God is already there. So we'll come back to this on, uh, on each week's message and remind you of how this kind of unfolds. We want to look at verses 1 through 6, and I'm calling this message Seeking Immortality. And you can see this graphic that I chose here, the swirl of time. And what we find is that in the course of time, we see life changes dramatically. It's much different than what it was when we were young, for those of us who are older. And for those of you who are younger and just starting off in life, you'll find that life is going to change over the next 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 years. It will not look the same as it does today. The most important thing to take out of these verses, and it's something that I think all of us can resonate with once we become an adult, time passes quickly, doesn't it? Time passes quickly. Life passes quickly. Now, we all live in a modern era where it seems as though life is at a frantic pace, right? We're all trying to accomplish something, achieve something, or enjoy something in the course of our life. And what we find is we must come with time-stamped terms that are offered to us in life. By the time you reach 16, you can get your temps to drive your car. By the time you're 18, you can have a beer. By the time you're 21, you can do certain things you can't when you're younger. And all of a sudden, this snowball gets rolling, and we can't stop it. I remember when I was a kid, it used to seem like forever between Christmas and Christmas. Will Christmas ever get here? Nowadays, I put the ornaments away, and I go, there, it's time to take them back out again already, right? Right? It's just something to go, wow, where did this year go? So what we want to do is look in this psalm. It's filled with time terms, things like years and days and watch of night and daybreak are terms that are found in this psalm. And as we look at it, the wisdom that we can gain from it is that God is from everlasting to everlasting. So take a look at verses 1 through 6. It begins with this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Another way of describing that is he's eternal. She's eternal. God is both male and female, he's, and she is spirit. But this is eternity. And from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. And yet God chose at a point in time to create this place we call our our home, planet Earth. And here you see planet Earth, and you can see the arrows there. Even before the mountains were born, in other words, even before creation, God existed. But he brings the world into being. He says, let there be light, Genesis 1-3. Let there be an expanse, Genesis 1-6. Let there be dry land, Genesis 1-9. Let there be vegetation, verse 11. Let there be an expanse in the sky, verse 14 of Genesis. Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and birds, verse 20. Let the earth bring forth every kind of living creature, verse 24. And then finally in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. But we live on this round globe that we call our home, planet Earth, and you see another arrow there, and that's way too big. You and I are just a speck, not only in time, but on this planet as well. That is very overwhelming. We are just a speck on the spectrum. But what we find here is a psalm that is dedicated to Moses. It's probably unlikely that Moses wrote this. It's more likely, this is a later psalm, when the nation of Israel had been in exile out of their homeland for a number of years, and they were trying to get back to their homeland. So they were in Babylonian exile for a number of years, and they're trying to get back, And they remember the life of Moses. Now, if you remember the life of Moses, you'll remember that he was the one that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, right? And as they are headed to the promised land, they get to the edge of the promised land, and he sends out 12 spies to spy out the land. The spies come back, 10 of them say, no, they're too big, they're too strong, they have too many weapons, let's not go forward. But Joshua and Caleb says, no, no, God's with us, let's go ahead and go forward and let's achieve what God has promised to us to have our own land. Well, what happens is the nation accepts the verdict of the 10 rather than the two and they turn around and they wander in the wilderness for almost 40 years. Moses had been in the wilderness for 40 years when he escaped Egypt and he was tending the flock and now this second 40 years he's wandering in the wilderness with his kin and they are always looking forward to entering into that land. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy it tells us that Moses lived 120 years. That's a long time, right? And yet it wasn't enough time to actually get him into the promised land. He gets to the edge of the promised land, and then he dies, and then he's buried. And I think the writer of this particular psalm is using Moses as kind of a template. And Moses is the example of you can live a long life, you can have an instrumental life, you can have a lasting legacy... But even at 120 years, time passes quickly. And because it goes quickly, often the things that we would like to achieve in life never are achieved. Even 120 years was not long enough for Moses to realize the vision of his people going into the promised land, settling down there, and enjoying the land. This psalm, I think, is reminding all of us that We never live long enough to realize all of our dreams. We all have more dreams in our heart than we have time or have resources or have energy to accomplish. And that's okay. Let it be. In other words, whatever God allows you to accomplish in the course of your life, Whether you live 80 years or 90 years or if life is cut short because of some circumstances, take life as a gift, pursue your goals, but remember that life is never long enough for you to actually achieve everything that you would like to achieve, that you see in your mind. So there will be experiences you never experience because you don't have enough time. There will be places you'll never be able to visit because you don't have enough money. All that type of thing. And that's okay. That's okay. God is from everlasting to everlasting. However, not us. So here's a second graphic. It's the old hourglass, right? And it says here, you turn people back to dust. And I think that's a way of saying, here's the way life works. God is immortal, but we are not. And... The sand runs through that small little portal, and what we find is we all start in the upper sphere of that hourglass, and all of life is ahead of us, and everything has great potential. But that sand starts to go down through the middle, and all of a sudden, what we find is there's an even amount in the upper and lower sphere And then as we get older, there's more sand down in the bottom than there is at the top. And this often makes people afraid because they look back on their life and they go, life went by too quickly. Life is, I'm losing my grip on the future. That's okay, let it be. However... It's human, and it's natural to have some fears. I think sometimes the way we portray Christianity is that because you have the Lord, you shouldn't be afraid. The fact of the matter is, there are fears that we all have, and it's okay. And that's why over 400 times in the Bible, God says, don't be afraid. I don't think that's a word of chastisement. I think that's a word of encouragement. I'm from everlasting to everlasting. You're not. You will return to dust at some point. There will be a day when the sand runs out in the hourglass. But remember, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by for God because he's eternal. And so what we find is that we have to deal with time passing quickly We often have to deal with our fear of what happens after this life is done. And so we cope with what I want to call death anxiety in a variety of different ways. Death is both a fear and an anxiety. If someone was to come in here and threaten us, we would have fear. But anxiety is something that lingers over the course of our life. It's kind of in the back of our thinking at times that life is finishing way too quickly. And so what we tend to do is we develop like coping mechanisms to deal with that. Here's a few. One of the ways we try to avoid that is we don't like to use the word death. It's interesting in our culture that we come up with a variety of different ways to talk about death. And it's because of our fear of death. And so what we do is we'll say things like, he passed away. He's in a better place now. We don't even like to use the word funeral anymore. Most funerals are now entitled a celebration of life. All of those are coping mechanisms that we have because we have this lingering fear of death. And we all have thoughts about it at various times. The thought about my own death frightens me. And I'm troubled by the fact that I will no longer be alive. My mortality is something that I struggle with. Thinking about what's after this life can be scary So what we do is we develop these coping mechanisms. I won't think about it. I won't think about it. And yet at the same time, this psalm puts it right in front of your face, doesn't it? I mean, it says here, return to dust. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by. And then the psalmist says, you sweep people away in the sleep of death like the new grass of the morning. It springs up and then it withers. So we all deal with it. And at some point, we have to say goodbye to people that we deeply love. But when we feel the pain of that, it makes other people uncomfortable. Have you noticed that? So when we grieve, and we cry, what is the first thing someone else will say? Don't cry. Why? Why do we say that? Because you're making me uncomfortable by your crying, right? Or we try to shorten the time of grief. You know, oh gosh, that was a year ago. You shouldn't have the pain of grief this long. Don't cry. Sometimes what you'll find is that's the most beneficial thing that we can do is to cry, to feel it, to release it, to pray, to give it back to God. To remind ourselves that even though we don't have control of a long life, God is in control of all time and space. There's other ways we cope with things. I don't know if you've known anyone who later in their life looks for a charity to give some of their resources to because they want to have a lasting impact. They'd like to be able to have a plaque on something with their name on it, right? These are all different ways that we cope with this. Um, and I think that we do this even with simple things. So let me show you a slide here. So, this here is my family tree. I took that ancestry DNA test back at Christmas time, and they uh, allow you to plug in information and stuff. Here I am, right here. That's me. And then there's my ancestors, my parents and uncles and aunts and grandparents and great-grandparents, and that's about as far as I've gotten so far. Isn't it interesting that at some point in our life, kids probably don't care a bit about this, but the older we get, we want to feel connected to something that will continue on beyond us, things that we really don't have full control of. So here's Kevin and here is Brent. Will they have children? Will they carry on the family name? We aren't in control of that. And yet, this is all a part of who we are as human beings, that we'd like to be remembered, that we would like for our legacy to continue to live on. You know, many times as we do different things to try to, put a control on this time clock that is ticking too rapidly, you find that sometimes we make good decisions and sometimes we make bad decisions in the process. Some people, because they want their legacy to live on, have a lot of children. They want that to be kind of their ongoing uh, uh, heritage and so forth. But other people sometimes find comfort in being dogmatic and right. Especially within religion. What we find is people tend to use their own death anxiety as a way of saying, I believe all the right things, you don't. And because I believe, I think, I know, I believe all the right things, that gives me a source of comfort. So all I'm trying to say at this point is that This ongoing anxiety that we all carry has something to do with the way we structure our life and even choose the things that we want to do in our life. And they're not necessarily wrong. It's just that I need to realize why I'm doing what I'm doing. That on occasion, I'm trying to slow time down. On occasion, I'm trying to extend my legacy. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so what do we do when we find ourselves struggling and seeking immortality? Well, here's a couple of suggestions that I can give to you. Realize that it's normal. It's normal. This is who we are as human beings. And the fact is that we find time slipping away from us is something that we all struggle with. Number two... It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. That's a part of being human. In fact, some of the promises, and I'll show you one as I close this message, the promises in the scripture are to help us with this basic fear that we all struggle with. Number three, it's normal to grieve. In fact, it's unhealthy not to grieve. And so when we lose someone who is dear to us, it's okay Grieve. Let it be. It's all right. Number four, remember God said, is in the business of saying, let it be. Let there be light. Let there be creatures. Let there be birds. Let there be human beings. Finally, it's good to talk with other people about the subject. Because what we'll find is we all kind of carry some of the same feelings in life. There is an author uh, called Dostoevsky, that once wrote this, and he says, if you were to destroy the belief in immortality in mankind, not only love, but every living force on which the continuation of all life in the world depended would dry up at once. It's clear in the life of Jesus that he struggled with a bit of death anxiety as well. When he hung upon the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he comes to the edge of the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, the Bible tells us that he wept. Remember that God knows that we are but dust. God knows that we are fragile. God knows that we struggle with the self-awareness of who we are and how long we have. We as human beings carry the potential that sometimes other creatures do not. You know a rock exists, probably doesn't think about immortality, right? A tree exists, same thing. A dog is aware, but human beings are aware that they are aware. And that makes us different than other living creatures. The insatiable thirst for everything which lies beyond and which life reveals to us is proof that we desire immortality and that immortality is is something that comes on a regular basis. I want to show you a video. This video is of Celine Dion. Everybody familiar with Celine Dion? She had a hit song called Immortality. If you know anything about the history of Celine Dion, you'll know that she rose to fame at a very early age became a superstar. She married an older man, had a child with him, Renee was her husband, and uh, she lost him. And after she lost him, she got on with her life. And I remember um, going to her concert with my mom for my mom's 80th birthday. We all went on a vacation out to Las Vegas, and at Caesars Palace, Celine Dion was doing a residency there, and she was doing like four or five concerts a week, okay? So (laughs) my mom's birthday was coming up, and I said, would you like to see Celine Dion in concert? So we did. We went down to Caesars Palace, and it was on Memorial Day weekend six years ago. It was jam-packed. It was jam-packed, and She couldn't walk very well, you know, uh, and I had a wheelchair and I'm trying to dodge all these feet instead of running over them with the wheelchair and that type of thing. And we went in and we sat and we listened to Celine Dion. If you've ever seen her in concert, you know she's very passionate in the way she sings. Well, I don't know if you've seen a more recent picture of Celine Dion or not, but you can look it up on Google. She's struggling with her own illness now. She doesn't look anything like she did in this video. But this video is talking a little bit about life and love and loss and our own desire for seeking immortality. Watch. Do you see the Bee Gees in there? They wrote the song. The Bee Gees wrote that song, and so they were entitled to a cameo in her video, right? (laughs) I want to give you some encouragement as we close. In light of Psalm 90, verses 1 through 6, we have to counterbalance that with 2 Timothy 1, 9, and 10. Paul says, as he writes to Timothy, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, here it is. Who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's the good news. Jesus is risen from the dead. Here's the good news. He has defeated death. Here's the good news. He offers eternal life. Here's the good news. He offers forgiveness. Here's the good news. He offers a new beginning. Here's the good news. Even when I struggle with my own mortality, there is a point in time where I will realize that I will be in the presence of the eternal God And be reunited with those who have gone before, and nothing will be able to take that away. Those are the moments that I can comfort myself with. That God has taken care of my fear, and my failures, and my frustrations. And every so often, he whispers, let it be. Just let it be. Let it be. I'm going to have Corey come up. We're going to do something a little bit fun. As he comes up, I put one last graphic up here. So we are kind of like that flower that is in the morning and then withers. But you know something? We all have the opportunity to plant new seeds, don't we? How do you grow flowers for next year? It's found in the seeds of the one that has withered. And so, the best thing I can tell you is this, we need to thank God for the time that's been given to each of us. We need to pray that God will give us a heart that cherishes the days that we have. We need to pray that God gives us the sobering reality that we don't have control of our life, but... We are in the hands of the one who exists from eternity to eternity, and we praise God for the hope of eternal life and the legacy also that we leave behind. And that's probably all that we can do, is leave some seeds of who we are with other people. Your life lives on in the seeds that you plant in other people. Here's an old Greek proverb, a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit always remembering that we leave a legacy. So I thought what we would do for fun. I got a mandolin for Christmas. And uh, I thought I would break it out. And uh, you can sing along if you'd like. Um, Corey and I are going to attempt to do this. Do you want to join us? Oh, (laughs) wow. Oh, youth. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so this is Let It Be by Paul McCartney, okay? And if you know it, sing along. We just want to have some fun as we close our service tonight.
1: Find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary. To me speaking words of wisdom let it be in my hour of darkness she is standing right in front of me speaking words of wisdom let it be let it be let it be let it be let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. And when the broken hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. And though they may be parted, there's still a chance, they will see, there will be Let it be. And when the night is cloudy, and there's still a light that shines on me, shine until tomorrow. Let it be. I wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be.
0: you have a great day, everyone. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Have a great day.